Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Oh, I think it's fitting that we bring up the names Bob and Marcy White. That was Bob White's joke. Because they are so important to so many people here and uh, were the ones that uh, got it together for us to have this conference that many of us were involved in because Bob and Marcy said, you will become involved, and we did. I'm sort of like uh, my little friend Anna Marie here. Can you see me? Because I'm short. (laughs) And uh, anyway... Uh, what Marcy always said, and this is part of her legacy that I have tried to carry on any time I've been asked to speak, and I'm just going to carry on with what we've been hearing all weekend, are you a blessed child? Were you a blessed child, and are you a blessed person now? And what we want to say is if you were not one when you were growing up, it was not because your parents could wouldn't give you the blessing. It was because they couldn't. And now that you're here, you can get it from the program. You can get it from the fellowship. So I felt like I was not a blessed child, but now I feel like I am. So here's how it happened with the steps. (laughs) The other night, uh, you heard me say that I didn't believe I was given a rule for living, a rule book for how to live well. And the program gave me that. Now, that's not quite true because when I first got here, I was the first grandchild of both sets of grandparents. And therefore, I was blessed and I was made over, and life was pretty much a bowl of cherries until, until things happened. And you guys all know pretty well what happened. It wasn't that my family was alcoholic. They weren't, and I didn't grow up in alcoholism. However, there are other things that we react the same way, and we learn to not talk, not trust, not feel. By the time I got here, I didn't really know how to feel or what I was feeling. My first sponsor would say, I want you to take this book, and it was this book, and when you, anytime you can, I mean, you may have to stop at a stoplight and look up what you're feeling. You'll have some kind of a, an idea You know what I found out? I was really mad. I was mad at God. I was mad at my folks. I was mad. And I thought I was very sweet. (laughs) And everybody said that sweet little Billy. I got to where, when I got into the program a little while, and people called me sweet, I just about knocked their head off. Do not call me sweet. Call me other things. Do not call me sweet. 
And then after a while, you go through these phases. Now, if you want to call me sweet, well, good. That's fine. I like that title now. (laughs) Anyway, what happened, and I have to tell a little of it to get to where I'm supposed to be, is that uh, life went on until I met probably I was around 10, and my mother... My mother raged a lot and threw things. She was very precocious in in her feelings really fast. They got they they were quick and she reacted quick in a quick manner. And so you never quite knew what was going to happen in the house. My daddy was very sweet, very kind, very quiet. And so I adored him. But she said that he was, um, she couldn't live with him anymore. And so she went to Washington, D.C. with the civil service with the Navy. She was naval civil service and took me with her. And so there were lots of different schools that year or so. And, and I was no longer feeling like a blessed child. And then we went to California. Meanwhile, my father had been injured, and World War II came along. He was a con- he was with his daddy's construction company, and he'd gotten something had fallen on him. I found this out later, but it did do something to his nerves and his brain, and he got very very um, quiet. That's about all he ever did in front of me, but. They labeled him a label that nobody wants with mental illness. And then when we were doing this moving around stuff, trying to get settled and see if my mother would go back to him and nod and all this other stuff, uh, he was given a lobotomy. Therefore, he was still my daddy in that he loved me unconditionally. And I loved him, but now we had not only the shame of you didn't know what my mother was going to do, you had the shame of your dad was mentally ill and put in the hospital. And that's not good for somebody that had as much pride and thought she was as precocious and smart and gifted as I did. I had been taken down a peg. (laughs) So what happened was... uh, I didn't see my dad for 18 years. And, of course, there was my mother. I had to live with her, didn't I? But I didn't have to like it, did I? So we were in California, and I was I went to school, high school, grade school. I guess we, I was in the seventh grade when we got out there. And I went to work as soon as I could so that I didn't have to take money from her because... I mean, you took it, and then you she took it away from you, or you didn't know what was going to come with it, which gift you got to have with it. And so I made uh, I made my money as as early and as much as possible that I could at least buy my own clothes and my own lunches and stuff like that. Anyway, when I was um, out of high school my mother decided that she would send me back to my little college town in Texas because I was going to get married to get out. Now, we've all, you know, we love, some people did that, and and I was going to be one of those. The man was 10 years older, and my boss, and he was a nice enough guy, but 
thank God she did what she did. <laughs> and, uh, and I went back to Texas. And he was a nice enough person that, uh, well, I was a good girl. In those days, you were either a good girl or you weren't, and I was. <laughs> and I don't know why I was, except that I had always had strong spiritual leanings. And I thought I knew right from wrong, I guess, and that was wrong before you got married. So that was not an issue. And I got back to Texas, and it was in January. I'd worked all that year up to January. So I went in at mid-semester, and I was the new girl on the block and from California. So it didn't take me long to forget about that old man. <laughs> and uh, I met Jerry. <laughs> I didn't want to meet Jerry particularly in the shape he was in those days, <laughs> but uh, he, he was a friend, and we would take some of the same classes, and so we got to be friends, and that's not a bad foundation. Anyway, um, he drank too much, and I didn't want to have anything to do with, with drinking and alcohol, and uh, just didn't, but I was grateful to get away from my mother. The point I'm getting to is Jerry and I rocked along, and we got married, and we had kids, and he drank, and it was bad. It got to be bad. <laughs> so when I got to Al-Anon, like I said, the rule book was there of how I should, should do, how I should live, and it was wonderful. And it was it not it was not all bad. We had some really good times and some and our kids were great. I mean, you talk about blessings. Our kids have always been blessings to me and to Jerry both. I know we had a son, and I thought, oh, that's just great. And then four years later, we had a daughter, and I thought, I remember the prayer. I remember feeling that presence and thinking, God. Is it really going to be all right for me in my life after all? Is it really going to turn out okay? And so those kids and Jerry were my life, and I turned my will and my life over to them, which was good and bad. We know about that, don't we? Meanwhile, I had to have some contact with my mother. I didn't have to have any contact with my dad, and I didn't. Things rocked along, and my daughter, I believe, was 11, and our son was 14 or 15 when I got to Al-Anon. I remember on our 17th anniversary, Jerry, and my 17th anniversary, he gave me a bracelet with uh, a tree of life on it, had a little pearl on it, and it was really bad, and I was kind of thinking about the end of that marriage. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm a school teacher. I can just, uh, but I was sick. <laughs> I, I was a school teacher, but by then I was just teaching kindergarten because there was no way I could hold a heavy job with my stomach aches and headaches. And you know how we, how we do when you're a sick Al-Anon, and I was a sick Al-Anon. But he gave me this, and he said on the card, I know I have broken your limbs, your, the, 
the limbs on the tree, your tree of life, but you are my pearl, and I hope you'll stay with me. And, of course, there he got me back again. I decided I wouldn't. I mean, that's what he kept doing. <laughs> but um, I did run into, uh, I only told one, I had, I had a lot of shame from this family of origin, and I had a lot of it's not all right, and so you got to look good, and so my house was very orderly. I didn't leave the house without making up my bed. My dishes were done. My kids were great. They got straight A's. I, I don't. Those were gifts. Those were gifts. And so we looked good. Jerry was a young lawyer, and like many of you all, it looked okay from the outside. So. I, I did tell one friend how things really were at home. And she read Ann Lander's column about Al-Anon. And I said, oh, no, Jerry's a long way from that. Now, meanwhile, back there a little bit, because of all my headaches and stomach aches and miserable stuff, uh, Jerry sent me to a psychiatrist. So I was under his care, <laughs> and I t- I took uh, I took what I knew about Al-Anon to him, and he said, "Oh, it's probably good group behavioral therapy, but Jerry's a long way from that." Well, Jerry went in and talked about football. And then he'd call me in and, and say, I think we're through. For, you know, I can't do any more. Jerry won't open up. But you really do need to do something about his drinking and, and your um, finances. We never had, we were always $5 over instead of $5 under, if you want to put it like that. And I never did anything that I didn't need. I never bought the kids anything they didn't need. I, I couldn't understand why we had such horrible Gorilla fights over money. <laughs> but that's the way it was. We were poor. We were poor. I mean, we, we didn't, we weren't poor, but we thought we were poor. So what happened was, this happened four or five years. I'd go to the psychiatrist because he'd send me about, oh, a month or two, and then he'd, the psychiatrist would send me home and we'd go along for six or eight months. And we did this for five years. I mean, this was, so that last time when I took in Alan on literature, that's what he told me. I've never seen or heard from that man since. Because really, Alan on took care of it all. Now, he had given me some pills, and one of the first things that happened for me after coming to the program was I went to get a pill because my stomach was hurting, and this thought said, why don't you flush them? You don't need those anymore. You've got the program. Oh, and I flushed them, and that was the end of the pills. And Dr. Ha, his name was, I better not say it, because he's a nice man. He just didn't know what he was dealing with, I guess. <laughs> he said, you really should uh, drink a little with Jerry. Well, one glass of wine and I was out and still am. <laughs> but I was trying. 
And I got, I didn't know what the program was saying about that. And so I asked one of my friends there, or one of the women, she was way ahead of me, been there a while. And she said, well, we're not a temperance society. So if you think you may have a problem, go talk to one of the women in the other room. And so I did. And she laughed at me. So that took care of that. But uh, I, I did have this thought that when, when my stomach hurt and I would be fixing dinner, that's when I like to have a glass of rosé. Now, if you all know about rosé, it's, you know, kind of punch is what it really is. But anyway, this thought came, try, try red grapefruit juice. So that was when I started doing that for supper. When I was fixing supper, it was red grapefruit juice. And Jerry noticed that I wasn't drinking with him at all anymore. But this was good because we we would I did all those horrible things that all sick Alanons do. But then after a while, when I got here, I quit. And for one thing, they said I had to go through these steps, and I have to go through a little bit to bring you up to here. So bear with me just a little bit. So my step one was to let go of him somewhat. But I read. Oh, I love to read. I am a good student, and I love to read. And I read 36 books that first year of Al-Anon. Well, you know what they tell us. The book reading's fine, but it's not really going <laughs> to change your life. But one of the books I'd read was Marty Mann's Primer on Alcoholism. And it said, if you want to find out if you're an alcoholic, drink two drinks a day for six months. No more, no less, no celebration too high, no funeral too low, two drinks a day. So Jerry was on me one night, and and he said, you just call me an alcoholic all the time. And I said, yeah, and I was wrong. I'm really going to not do that anymore. Well, how would I know it if I really wanted to find out if I was one? And I just read about the test. What a blessing. What a blessing. So I told him about the test. I want you to know he took the test for a year and a half and never passed it. He'll tell you that in his story. But he didn't tell anybody. I heard him speak four years later at a little anniversary, and I found out he'd taken the test. Sneaky. Anyway, I took step one over a lot of Jerry. And then I had uh, had taken step two with the craziness in my family. And of all things, my father wrote me. Now, you remember I'd had no contact with him for long, 15 to 18 years. I'm not really sure. But I was under the doctor's care at that time, the psychiatrist's care. Now, see the gods, the blessing and the interweaving here. So, boy, that threw me for a loop. And, of course, most of the stuff I did with that doctor supposedly was for Jerry, but it was really to get my ducks in a row with my family of origin. And so I took the letter to him, the doctor, and he said, well, I think you should go see him. He said, I will write the doctor there first, though, and we'll find out the true condition of things which he did, which I'm very grateful for. And then Jerry went with me, which I'm very grateful for. 
and I went to see my daddy. And they called him Mr. Small, that was his name, because I had been Billy Small, S-M-A-L-L. I thought it meant that, boy, I better never put on any weight or it'll be terrible. <laughs> anyway, we went up there. He was, he'd been a, uh, worked for his dad, the contractor, and he, uh, he was in charge of the electric saws and where they made birdhouses and stuff like that. And really, when I saw, went in and saw the doctor after seeing my daddy, the doctor said, you know, you're a lot more emotional about all this than he is. Mr. Small's doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and I was. I was, I was just, I didn't know what to think. But, anyway, I, I kept on trying to, uh, to be in touch with my daddy. And, uh, then we got through with the psychiatrist, but I was still very angry with my mother. Now, my mother by now, without uh, me and my sister to really be all over her, my sister always got along with her and babied her and just, you know, what they, they just were, I don't know, they did fine and, and I didn't. So I was out on my own. I was, I was an only child, basically. My sister was four years younger. We never went to the same school. We never had the same friends. We were both raised as only children, frankly. Anyway, so what we did was uh, we sort of had a truce. But she was a poet. She's she's famous. She was in, you can look her up in the library. She's an international who's who of poetry. She was creative. She was uh, gifted, but not with us. <laughs> or at least I didn't think she was with us. Okay, so by now I'm in the program. Jerry's still drinking. I'm in the program. And I'm seeing these steps, and then here I am making a list. Well, first I better go through the fourth and fifth step, which I I, I did two or three, but by the before Jerry got in the program. But this this one that this was right after the program. Oh, that was with my daddy. I'll have to go back here before the program. I did a. a fourth and fifth step of my life with, uh, oh, that's how I did it. I remember thinking all I've got to tell people if they want to get somebody sober is do it like I did it. And the way I did it was I went to this minister that had written a lot of books on alcoholism and was the minister of a Methodist church in town there, and he gave me an 18-page uh, deal. I, I wrote, oh, I wrote 70 pages or something like that. But I answered all these questions. And, and I thought, well, if the girls that I'm with would just do their inventory like I did, that's when Jerry came in the program. We, Jerry, you know, your husband would come in the program, your whatever, it would work. <laughs> of course, it doesn't work that way, but I thought so at the time because that's what happened with us. However, I need to backtrack that when I did this huge inventory, and we got through, He and it took months, but I'd go back every two weeks. He'd read what I'd written. He'd make comments and write on it and do it. And this is all kind of different, but it is your life story, and it was my life story, and I was able to write down all that stuff. And he said to me, well, I don't see anything real 
you know, there's not, there's no psychosis or anything, just a normal, everyday, neurotic Al-Anon. That's who you are. What? I have read 20,000 books on good mental health, and you're calling me a neurotic Al-Anon? <laughs> anyway, uh, I did that fourth and fifth step. And I did realize I had a character defect of two, sort of like pride, <laughs> shame. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on, but I was trying. And then we got to this write down who and what. And so I'm making my list and there's my father. There's my mother. There's my sister who won't do anything I tell her to do. And if I, if she'd just done what I told her to do, she would not have gotten pregnant at 16. She would not, she would, well, never mind. But you kind of get the idea. And then, guess what else came along that I had to write down was I had two, my father had two brothers. And he had a sister, but she wasn't on the list yet. But the two brothers were because, because they had, when I was in college, one of them had, uh, had helped me a lot. And I had stayed with them on weekends and I had, uh, they had loaned me their, uh, well, I could go to the Amarillo Country Club and take my sorority sisters for lunches and and uh, my other uncle was a professor at the college there and he I stayed with them when I did my uh, student teaching and I owed them too much and I was always the daughter of the black sheep of the family I mean that was my feeling so I resented them totally just, you know, they've been so good to me, and I just resented them totally. And so my sponsor, and I had a ferocious sponsor. You may have heard about her with some of Jerry's talks, but she was just right for me and wonderful. She said, why don't you write thank you notes if you can't quite uh, do anything big right now with your amends and getting on there, starting nine. Why don't you write thank you notes? So I wrote a thank you note. My first grade teacher, I was in the training school of the college, which we thought was a much better school than the public one. And uh, and I wrote my first grade teacher a thank you note because she had become, when I went back to college, she had become my college instructor. A lot of those teachers that, now God bless God again, was that a blessing or what? And I was a name. I wasn't a number. In California, I was a number. But I was a name uh, there, and they would talk about cute little things I did. Well, anyway, I wrote thank you notes. I wrote, started with her. She was easy. And I got back a really sweet, she was retiring, and, and she said, you know, I never had children, and you were, you all were my children. And, you know, there we are. What a blessing. And then I thought, okay, I'll write my uncles. So I wrote them each an a note and thank them for all they'd done for me in college and helped me get through college. Well, guess what happened? One of them 
Lot's daughter ran away. Well, where'd she end up? In Dallas. So he came down and we went and got her and visited about that and and that started that part of the family, a connection. And then I wrote the other one and guess what? His daughter was at North Texas and she needed to do her student teaching in our school neighborhood and live with us. What a blessing. God bless God. And then <clears throat> this thing with my uh, making a men's thing came up with uh, my mother. And uh, now my kids had never been to California to their home, to my mother's home. She'd never, they'd never been. My son, we brought him back when he was six months old from California from the service. Jerry was in the service, and that's when we got married. So we, I knew what I had to do, and I took my daughter, and we left my son to babysit the drunk. We, he knew what he was doing. You know, the kids and I would pray at her bedside every night. Please let Daddy get sober. Now, he hates to hear this, and I'm, you know, I mean, that's just the way it is. He'll tell you about it himself. And I said I had to take Karen because she was too young, and I needed the support myself with my mother. And Mike stayed with Dad. And as I say, Jerry was always a good dad. I mean, we didn't like the gorilla aspect, but that didn't come out all the time, the truth of it. I have to be honest. It didn't come out all the time. <laughs> and uh, they did an awful lot, and he was a coach, and he was this, and he was that for the kids. <clears throat> so that was good. I think our kids are either overachievers or underachievers one way or the other, really. And ours happen to be overachievers. So at the time, I didn't know that. I just thought, oh, I have great kids, wonderful, yay, yay. Anyway, I took my daughter, and we went to California, and we're visiting my mother, and we're opening a box of photographs because they, they'd they never seen me as a child or anything. All of that childhood, I mean, I could have just sprung full-blown grown up. And here's a picture of my mother and me in Washington, D.C., and a sidewalk photographer has taken our picture, and I'm about Karen's age, I mean, at that time. And she said, well, Grandmother, you were really pretty. And she was. You were really pretty, but Mother looks like she's got a black cloud over her head. Does she always wear that face? <laughs> and now I'd gone out there to try to make amends and make things a little better. And my mother says, yes, I always felt bad about Billy with the family breakup because she, it never, she never got past it. Now her sister got past it, but I always felt bad about Billy. She never got past it. And thank God, finally, for the program that I was able to say finally, we called her Vivian because she'd introduced me as her sister when we, she didn't really want to be a mother. I, I, I mothered her. <laughs> but anyway, that's, I'm putting words in her mouth, maybe. Anyway, I said, Vivian, 
you did the best you could. It was wartime. Your husband was sick. You did the best you could, and I probably was not any kind of a daughter to help you out. And I, I want to be now. I'm sorry about that. And she wrote my sister after the visit that the 15-year drought was over. God bless God. And then about that time with my uncle, he was the youngest uncle, and I needed to go, my, my father was writing me every week by this time, and I needed to go see him. And I happened to be talking to my uncle, and I said, you know, it'd be a lot easier if there was, if you, if you could meet me. Because he'd been the one to take care of all the business part of it all. He was a, a bank president. And he uh, did. I never called him that it was time to go see Daddy, that he didn't respond. And he met me halfway. And I had, uh, I had a wonderful relationship with my father. And I had a sweet relationship with my mother. I called her every week. And I learned to do like my sister knew naturally. Just, oh, well, Vivian, that's too bad. Well, I'm sorry you're experiencing that. Well, maybe this, this choice or this choice maybe will, might work for you or, you know, something of that nature. What I learned, I guess, I hope, was that the circumstances of my life should no more uh, be a reflection of how I am than looking in the mirror to see what I look like is the way I really am, is me. Because it's not. Now, my husband likes to say that we don't see each other really. We see the bodies, the spacesuits or houses that we live in. We don't see each other, really. Our insides are there, and you don't really get to know somebody until you get to know them. And, and that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's the deal, that I need to be working on me. I don't need to be working on anybody else. And that all worked fine. That part was fine. But then guess what? We got to ten. And when we got to ten, life keeps happening. Life keeps happening. And my son got married. What happens when your son gets married? <laughs> You get another member of the family. <laughs> and then my daughter got married, and then what happened? You get another member of the family. <laughs> and uh, it turned out that, uh, I don't know how to say this. I certainly hope, uh, I know we're taping it, see, it's sort of, uh, <laughs> but I guess it, it's no secret that uh, our daughter-in-law didn't like us too well. And when she didn't like us too well, we, we tried really hard to help her like us. And we tried in some of the wrong ways. We did the best we could. 
at one point, she decided she didn't like us well enough that a little incident happened, and I don't even remember what it was. But it happened, and it was an excuse, so they could not speak to us for several months, almost a year. We had no contact with them. Well, we have, they each have three grandchildren, three children, so we have six grandchildren. And at that time, I can't remember if they had all of them or just had a couple of them. But that, that was pretty darn hurtful. And I don't know if we learned anything from it, but I know we worked our program on it the best we could. We continued to take inventory. We continued to do the best we could with it. And uh, we finally kind of got that one settled. And by golly, two or three years later, another one happened. Another one happened. And so again, there we were. And this time... Our son remained in contact with us, but we weren't allowed to see the children. We weren't, I mean, it was just awful. And finally, finally, my son said, Mom, the first time she was primarily mad at Jerry. The second time, she was primarily mad at me. He said, if you would write a letter, maybe it would be accepted. So I wrote a letter. Can you forgive me? I did not intentionally hurt you. I know that Mike lives for you and the family. You are perfect for him because he lives for you and the family. Can we start over? I really want to be your friend. And it was kind of a truce. And she never told our son that she got the letter. <laughs> he, he, I read it to him later, so he did know I'd done it. <laughs> and she never mentioned it to me to this day. But uh, we have, well, actually, we have a grandson at SMU, and we have him over for dinner. And, and ever so often, we'll get a real big thank you. And the other night during that monsoon we had, she called Jerry, who happened to be at the lake, and asked if he wouldn't go to Salado to get him in the rain. He had gotten run off the road. He was going back to school, and he'd gotten run off the road by smashed between two trucks, so to speak. So Jerry drove two hours through that blinding rain and then three hours on up to Dallas and I don't think he has his car yet. It was pretty well totaled. The point I'm getting to is that we want to be there for her and him and them. And that's part of our amends for the way that we know we hurt our kids. How could we not? I, I have made, tried to make amends to our son because, and this is kind of a secret maybe for some of you guys, but I know you women, if you have a son, you will understand me. You kind of, you can't lean on your alcoholic. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. So you lean on that son that's just the bright shining star, and you talk things over with him, and the two of you, talk about how to help Karen, 
And finally, after one of our huge fights one night, I went into Mike. I always helped him with his homework if there was any call-out names or spelling or geography or whatever. And I said, Mike, well, I'm sorry, but it looks like Dad and I are going to get a divorce. In spite of everything I can do, we're going to get a divorce. But you and Karen will be okay. You know your daddy loves you a lot. And you know I love you a lot, and, and we'll work it out. We'll You and I will take care of Karen mostly. Well, how sick is that? I I had to make all kinds of amends to Mike over making him grow up too soon, putting him in the place where my husband should be. And, of course, Mike didn't really accept it until he finally got honest and said, yeah, I resented you a lot, Mom. I understood Dad was sick, but you were... <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, beyond the pale, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, now Mike and I, I think, are, are good friends again. And uh, and our son-in-law has, has always welcomed us, uh, and I'm so grateful for that. And I think it was because at the time they got together, his parents were getting a divorce, and so he came to us for Thanksgivings, Christmases, and all that kind of stuff. So God bless God. I think when I walk with God as much as I can, and we were talking about meditation the other day, and I'm I'm going to close here in a few minutes. I, what time did I start? It's I'm going to close here in a few minutes because everybody's sleepy and we need a little nap. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, but when I, and I won't go into that 11th step because I'm not really supposed to, except that I think it's the step that you can take from the beginning. I really do think you, and I tried to, I wanted to. So I read all the books about prayer, and I read all the books about meditation and the difference. I didn't really know there was a difference until it got to the program. And... All of that led me to, they told me when I got to Al-Anon that we need to ask for God's will and his purpose for us. And I knew that Al-Anon had given me my rule book finally. So that was part of my purpose. And I was GRDR, alternate delegate. I went to New York. I went to uh, Virginia Beach. And I, and I saw the bigger picture of Al-Anon. But it came time for me to put be put up for delegate, and Jerry was what we, a friend lovingly called, he was getting on the cornbread circuit. <laughs> and our daughter was uh, a senior in high school and graduating, and so I didn't, didn't go on down that avenue. But it also, with this new God thing that Jerry and I had, he had he'd gotten us in a new church which I was very unhappy about in the beginning because I loved my old church and had been a Sunday school teacher. You know, we're all nurses or Sunday school teachers. I mean, come on. <laughs> but anyway, so I was at the new church, and and the minister there didn't realize what he did, but he started me the very first class that was interesting to me to take, plus the books were books that a lot of my friends were reading and told me that the big book was taken from part of of one of them. 
And, uh, and they were so close. That's why Jerry liked that church, is because it was so close to the program. So he had started me on this lay minister's road to become a lay minister. And I am a chaplain at my church now, which is not quite the same thing, but it's, it's close with the credentials that I have. And therefore, many of you know that I have been able to officiate at your marriages and your services. I did a service not long ago. Anyway, and I got to marry somebody at Crested Butte. Anyway, that became part of my purpose, I believe. So, to finish things up, when my father died, I was able to officiate at his service, and my uncles were there. And then one of them asked me to officiate at his wife's service when she died. What a blessing. What a blessing that that family that I felt like such a black sheep with and I wasn't good enough for, I could be of service to and that I could be a strength and a help. And then my mother died two years later, and I was able to do her service. And I could do it with love, with caring. And my sister, my little rebel sister, said, Well, Billy, I'm so glad that you came, because you can, you can say things to her that I can't say. I mean, she had them in her heart, but she couldn't. And because of the program, I could. And then I could do her service. What a blessing. I mean, I just got to echo that sweet lady in front of me. I love my life. And I am so blessed. I'm so blessed. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.